You're listening to a podcast by New Heights Church. We hope you're encouraged to glorify, grow, and go. Our sermon text today comes from Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. Uh, The word of the Lord says, He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy. And Lord, we ask that you would be with us um, in the service today, and God, that you would uh, receive glory and honor um, from our singing, from our giving, from the preaching of your word. Um, Lord, help me to preach um, in a way that's centered in the gospel. Um, Lord, that you would be magnified, um, minister to our souls today, Holy Spirit, um, in a way that uh, is supernatural and that we need. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Um, my name is Will. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, if I'm if I'm not as friendly today, it's because my son is uh, positive with COVID. Um, I'm fully vaccinated, uh, and um, the health department told me I didn't even have to wear a mask. But I'm trying to just be abundantly cautious and be respectful of where you guys are. So I'm not afraid to talk to you, but I realize some of y'all might be afraid to talk to me today. Uh, so I'm gonna keep my mask on when I'm not preaching. And I'll be around. If you want to talk to me, feel free to come and hang out with me. But I don't want to encroach on any of you just out of an abundance of caution. Um, all, all of the vaccinated people in our home have tested negative, uh, which, which means that that seems to be working. And um, my kids are on a quarantine now. And so they're going to have to start school a little bit later and stuff. But Judah's feeling good. Um, he had one day of symptoms, and other than that, he's been fine, and so we praise God for that. Um, I do want to just reiterate, we want you to pray, be praying for Pastor Patrick. There's just a, a number of things that he's dealing with right now, uh, medically speaking, um, several different issues. It's not just one thing, and so that's why we're not giving a lot of detail, because we're waiting on specialists and things like that, but, um, but he, he is uh, having a rough time, and so we need to pray for his healing. Um, so, needless to say, it's been a, it's been a rough week. Um, for our church. It's been a rough week for me personally. And, um, and then the last thing I probably wanted to do at an end of a week like this is come in and preach about giving. And so bear with me today. Um, but I have uh, studied and prepared this sermon. And, and um, I, want, I want to remind you that, that at our church, we love expository preaching, which means that we preach through books of the Bible, verse by verse. And that also means that this sermon was put on this date probably about a year ago. Um, and so um, you are here, and you're hearing a sermon about giving, and it's not because um, it's not because the church's budget is struggling, or because we need more money. And so we kind of like threw in a passage from Mark to try to shake people down. It's none of that. Um, it just means we love the Bible. We go through it verse by verse. And today we happen to be on a passage about giving. Um, next, the next two weeks, I don't want you to miss church if at all possible, because we're going to be talking about end times. Uh, if you want to read ahead, Mark chapter 13 is confusing as all get out. Um, And so Pastor Jeremy and I are studying that, and we're going to preach the next two weeks 
on the end times. And so I'd love for you guys to come back the next two Sundays and be with us for that. And then at Tailgate Church on September 5th, we won't have a morning service. We'll just open up the garage doors and have an evening service at Tailgate together, um, Lord willing. And so that'll be on September 5th. And um, so as we jump into this text today, you know, I... I get a little bit nervous to preach about money. I don't really get nervous to preach about much else, even like the even like things like sex that are that should be embarrassing don't embarrass me that much. But I always get nervous preaching about money because I know people get uptight about it. And and if if you're that, if if when I read the the passage of scripture today or told you what the topic of the sermon is going to be, if that like makes you squirm in your seat a little bit, um, that's okay. But I want you to ask yourself, why does that happen to us? Why does it bother us or why does it make us uneasy um, to read in the Bible or to hear a sermon about giving or about money? I think a few reasons. Um, Number one, I think many of us have seen this topic misappropriated by charlatans who claim to be pastors but are really just a scam artist. I think we've seen um, the, the guys on TV that are flying in private jets and um, and have the expensive suits and all those things. So I think that's part of it. I think another part of it is uh, many of us might have an unbiblical view of money, um, which I'll try to address today. And, um, and then I think just flat out, some of us bear the guilt of greed in our hearts. And so when we deal with that idol and tackle it, it's painful for us and uncomfortable for us. Now, the reality is Jesus preached about money a whole lot. Um, It wasn't a topic that he shied away from. It wasn't anything that he was embarrassed by. Um, He preached about money many times. Um, It wasn't his most common topic, but it was commonly mentioned. Even in his parables, he mentions, he uses money as a teaching tool and as an analogy for people many times in his parables that aren't directly about giving or about money. But many times his teaching directly is about giving and about generosity. And in Matthew 6, 24, he says this, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then Jesus gives us this great truth. You cannot serve God and money. And and so Jesus presents us with a choice. We can worship money, or we can use our money as an avenue of worshiping God. And those are the two sermon points. If you got a journal or something you want to write down, those are the two things we're going to go over today. Um, The difference between worshiping money and worshiping with money. Um, God does not think that money is bad. Um, It's not an evil thing, Um, but God wants you to use it as a tool to worship him and to bring him glory and to come alongside him in his kingdom mission. Um, And and that doesn't mean that you don't get anything for yourself. It means that God wants to receive glory from how you live your life, and that includes how you spend your money. And so let's look at uh, idolatry of that, number one, worshiping money. Now, recently in the Gospel of Mark, we've kind of taken a, a, we took a break for the summer. And so before that break, we looked at a story where Jesus encounters a young man who's described as a rich, young ruler. And this rich, young ruler comes to Jesus and he asks him, hey, I've kept the law. I've went to church. I've done all these things. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus revealed um, that this young man's heart was really centered on the idolatry of the worship of wealth. And and so this young man worshipped money, not God, even though he claimed to worship God. Now, in today's passage, Jesus is in the court of the women, and he's going to give an example of generosity in a poor widow. Um, And he uses her as a teaching object to teach his disciples about the principles of generosity. Now, I think it's interesting that Jesus has to go to the court of the women uh, to to find this teaching tool. Amen, ladies? Um, Listen, men are... 
Um, men are delegated as, ex- as the exclusive holder of the office of elder in the church, okay? Um, we are complementarian at this church, and that means that men are pastors and women are not pastors. But that does not mean that women do not lead in the church. Don't, don't hear that as chauvinism. God calls us to lead in complementary ways. And I believe one of the ways that women are called to lead is in the area of generosity. I think God shows us through the nurturing principles of many women that, that we can learn specifically, I believe, from our ladies how to be generous. Amen, ladies? Um, you, you gals tend to do that better than us guys. Uh, men tend to be, I'm not saying all men are, but men tend to be more materialistic um, and tend to be greedier. And I think God has predisposed women to be generous. And so I think it's interesting, first of all, I want you to notice that Jesus goes into the court of the women. There was a separation of women and men in the temple, and he leaves the area that's, that's held just for men, and instead he comes into the court where men and women are. And, um, and so Jesus goes to this women's court, and uh, let me try to paint the scene of what's happening. There were, in this court, in the temple, uh, this courtyard, there were 13 chests of, of like lock boxes that you could give money to. And these were like, there was like a general temple fund to pay the electric bill at the temple. There was, um, there was like a, there was a, a salaries fund. There was a sacrifices fund to buy the animals that needed to be sacrificed. I mean, there were all these different types of delegations for where the money would go. And what was most interesting about this is the, the boxes were made out of ram's horns. And so they had these like ram's horns that kind of popped up. So if you've ever been to like a museum and your kids want to put the, the coins in the thing that goes and it goes all the way around, you know what I'm talking about? Super interesting. If you've never done it, you've not lived. Um, but that's kind of like the top of all these boxes. They were called shofar chests because the shofar was uh, the, the common trumpet of ancient Palestine. And what's interesting was not only the entrance of this box was a shofar, but they had people that their job was to be stationed at these boxes. And when you put money in the box, they would blow the shofar trumpet. Um, So I don't know if you think that's weird or not, but when I I read that in history, I'm like, that's a strange practice. Um, But but we do it at our church. When you hear the siren in Milton going off, that's that's somebody gave online on the New Heights app. That's every time... (laughs) Woo! And it wakes you up at night. That's, that's what's happening. So, um, you know, I just want the town to know people are giving and being generous. Okay. Um, but what this tradition actually is, is I think pretty prideful. I think it's a prideful tradition. Um, and, and what, what's happening here is that the Jews love to celebrate their giving and that's probably a good thing, but it had kind of evolved to a point that it was no longer healthy. Um, And look at verse 41, the first part of it. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the treasury, and he watched the people putting money into the offering box. Now, we're one of those uh, new churches. I've had some some older uh, generation kind of get on to me for not passing the offering plate around and things like that. They think that I'm like short short change in the Lord somehow. Um, The reality is, is we have a giving box in the back because if... If uh, passing a plate in front of you is what leads you to give, frankly, we don't want you to give. Um, if, if you need a plate passed in front of you to remind you, oh, let me find, I got nothing in my pockets, but let me find whatever is in my pocket and just drop it in, then that's, that's not the kind of giving we want to see. Um, and so I always tell people, we, hey, we take up offering like they did in the temple. Um, we just need to get a ram's horn on top of that box back there. 
Um, but, but I try to stay away from the offering box because I think it's a little bit awkward as the pastor, especially y'all pay me. Um, so it gets even more awkward if I stand there and watch y'all like you gonna put money in today. You know, it's just kind of weird. Um, it's, it reminded me of like a couple weeks ago when Jeremy was preaching and he said that Claire would come in when she wanted ice cream and she would do this. I don't know if I got that right, Jeremy, but she just kind of looked. I want to get Claire to sit back at the offering box and do that look just to make y'all be generous. Just stare at y'all. And, um, but Jesus does that. He, he goes, just imagine, he's like a rabbi. He's teaching publicly. He's preaching sermons. And he goes and he just sits down and he's watching everybody give. And so this is, there's this kind of like parade that happens of these, these rich people that come and they're prideful in their giving. Um, but I want you to learn this principle. First of all, we should be less concerned with who knows that we give or what we give. Um, and we should be more concerned with the fact that Jesus knows that we give or that we do not give. And he knows the amount that we give. Jesus is watching your sacrifice just as he watched it that day in the temple. Nothing is hidden from the sovereign Lord. I always love the story when Jeremy tells it about him uh, just in disobedience, hiding the checkbook um, like in the underwear drawer before he and Julie would go to church. <laughs> that, that he as a selfish husband and father didn't want to give sacrificially to the church. And so he'd get to go so far as to hide the checkbook. Um, and Jesus saw that Jesus sees like, like I, shamefully, I was not generous until I started pastoring my own church. Like I'm embarrassed by that. Like I had to repent of that. That's, that's horrible. And Jesus sees all along us holding back what's rightfully his. And first Timothy six ten applies in those situations. We don't think it applies to us because we don't think that we're scoundrels and cheating people out of money. But if we are holding back from the Lord Almighty, then we are just as greedy as a thief. And that passage says, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Now, we tend to make idols out of all kinds of things. Um, we want our idols to bring us certain things. We want our idols to bring us comfort. We want our idols to bring us fun. We want our idols to bring us security. And again, it's awkward to preach to you about money, but I think the reason that this comes up over and over in the Bible and the reason that we have to preach about it is because it comes up in the Bible so much. And when we go through books, we, we come across it. I think the reason it comes up so much is because money and wealth is a very convenient idol for us. Verse 42b says that, Many rich people put in large sums. Many rich people put in large sums. So God is not pleased with all giving is another principle that we can learn from this. Just because you give a high dollar amount does not mean that God is pleased with your giving. This shows us that God does not want your money. If, if you miss everything else in this sermon, let me make that abundantly clear. God is not needy of you. God's not poor. God doesn't need your help. God does not want your money. He wants your heart. And because we serve Jesus and because Jesus is the head of this church, and so that means that New Heights Church does not need your money. We don't want your money. We want your heart to be dedicated to God himself. And if your heart is serving idols of comfort and greed, you could be the biggest giver and be very far from God. You see, back to the rich young ruler, his problem was not his wealth. His problem wasn't the fact that he had a lot of money. His problem was the fact that his heart was not in tune with God's will. 
Jesus told him, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. What Jesus is pointing out is not that wealthy people can't go to heaven. What Jesus is pointing out is that wealthy people have a a particular set of temptations that is afforded to them because of their wealth. That's just plain and simple. If you've got more money, you've got more access to idols. You've got more access to distractions. But wealth also affords the opportunity to fuel God's mission further. And if you've got money, and by the way, all of you are wealthy by the world's standards, then you've got resources that God wants you to use in an act of worship, fueling his church. And when Christ has our hearts, guess what? He has our resources as well. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7 says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So at the end of a sermon on giving, if you feel angry or disgusted that we preach about giving, then I don't want you to give out of that heart. Rather, I want you to be generous because you love Jesus and you understand that everything you have ultimately belongs to him. You see, the goal isn't getting money. If the goal is getting money, then the church should tax people rather than tithe people. It's like, when I, when I give money to the IRS, trust me, there is no joy in my soul. Amen? <laughs> like, when I'm taxed, there is nothing that's happy in my soul. Um, and I could try to change that. I could be like, oh, the schools and the roads with potholes in them. And I could you know, try to convince myself that it's worthwhile, but there's no joy in my soul. But when, when my weekly giving goes to New Heights Church, I get an email. And, and I really have just made it a practice when that email hits my inbox and I see it, that that money has come out of my bank account instead of being like, oh, really could have used that on something else, that I make it an, a, a moment of worship between me and God that I pause whatever I'm doing for the day. Obviously, I'm checking my email, so there's other, other needs in the inbox, but I'm seeing that, and I'm pausing, and I'm praying a prayer of thanksgiving that God has provided for my family, and I'm praying and I'm asking him to use my resources that are ultimately his anyways for his glory. Amen. And so instead of worshiping my money, I worship with my money. And so let's look at the act of tithing and uh, what it means to worship with our money, which is point two. Um, first of all, uh, tithe is an old English word. It's not tith. I've heard people say tith. Um, it's tithe. And it's from an old English word, kind of carried over from the King James. And so King Jimmy uses that word a lot. We don't really use that today. But tithe is from an old English word that means tenth. And so by definition, you cannot tithe 5% of your income. You cannot tithe 20% of your income because a tithe is 10%. That's what the word means. And so you can tithe and then you can give more or you can give less. Um, I don't believe the New Testament holds you to a specific number. That's why our church does not care how much money you make. It's not our business how much money you make. Um, It's between you and Jesus. But the Bible does call you to generosity. Um, But we do see a tithe in the Old Testament. Now, in the Old Testament law, uh, specifically in Leviticus 2730, um, it tells us that every tithe of the land, that means every 10% of the land, Every 10% of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. And so what was this tithe for? 
It was to uh, provide for the, the operations of religion. It was to pay for uh, the, the expenses of the temple. It was to pay the salaries of the priests who were there to serve the people. Um, it was there to provide for sacrifices specifically, um, the, the temple eventually that would be built. It was there for all of those things. Um, and they gave, by the way, of their produce um, in an agricultural society and of their money. So there were multiple tithes. They had to pay 10% of their harvest. They also had to pay 10% of their income. Now, were the priests exempt from this who were receiving this money? Nope. That's why your pastors at this church are expected to give. But guess what? If your pastors don't give to this church, they cease to be pastors of this church. Um, just like in the Old Testament, the priests were not exempt. Numbers 18.26 says, Moreover, you shall speak and say to the Levites, When you take from the people of Israel the tithe that I have given you from them for your inheritance, then you shall present a contribution from it to the Lord, a tithe of the tithe. Now, in the Old Testament, Israel, again, was an agricultural society, and so they had multiple tithes that they gave. Now, most of us don't give produce to the church, although some of you do. I love that at our church, sometimes I come to church and at the tent outside, the welcome team's got like cucumbers and tomatoes and stuff. So that's part of being in a redneck church. But um, so we're, we're taxing your gardens too, you know, just bring it all in, bring it all into the storehouse. Um, but but what, this, what this principle shows us in the Old Testament that I believe does carry over into the new um, is, that, is that we don't like wiggle out of generosity. Because I've heard people say, well, I, I don't give financially, but I give of my time to the church. I serve and volunteer in a lot of ways, and I do a lot of that stuff. The Levites did not get to say that. The Levites probably gave more time to the religious aspect of Israel, but they were not exempt, as I just read to you in Numbers. They were not exempt from giving just because they gave more time than the average person. Some people will say, I give of my resources instead of giving my money. That does not exempt you from giving financially as well. Um, just like the, the people of Israel gave from their land and they also gave from their income. And so I know many of you are just sitting there asking, well, what does the Lord want from me? What's he want me to do? Well, he wants you to live generously. Well, what's that mean, pastor? Does that mean I have to give 10%? I've, I've got these questions all the time. Are, am I expected to give 10%? Do I have to, if I tithe, do I tithe on the gross income or the net income? Y'all had that? I'm like, y'all just pick one. If you just pick one, we'll be in good shape, Right. What if we can't afford 10%? I've got a good formula for you, okay? So let me, I'm, I've got an accounting degree for my undergrad. Um, let, me just, let me just run this rabbit trail with you. So you take, go ahead and think in your mind, all of your assets. Um, think of your cash in the bank account, how much you have. Think of your savings. Think of how much you've got in mutual funds and stocks and bonds and things like that. Um, go ahead and think of your vehicles, um, but, but try to subtract liabilities. And we're doing a rough formula, so you don't need to, um, get out a calculator unless you want to. But calculate those things. And then to find out what belongs to God, take that number and multiply it by one. That's what belongs to God. He owns everything that you quote unquote own. It is all his. God does not want 10% from you. He wants 100% submitted to him. That it's all his. And if he commands you to give it all away, then you're willing to do that. And so what I tell people is that, like, hey, I, the New Testament does not give us a number. I don't think you have to give 10%. I think you can give significantly less than that, but you need to ask yourself, is Jesus cool with what I'm giving? Is this pleasing to God? Look at verse 42 through 44, what happens with this widow. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more 
than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had. And by the way, that's 100%, not 10. And he describes it as all she had to live on. You know, each week on our social media accounts, we share that, um, that headline that we make to go with the sermon series theme of Stories of a Savior. And I don't know if you guys noticed this week, I don't make those graphics, but, um, but Aubrey, who makes those, she, she put a, a picture on that newspaper um, that has a picture of what the widow may have looked like. And in that picture, if you saw it, it's, a, it's actually a young woman with two children putting, putting the, the two coins into the offering box. And I, and I don't know why, but I've always just pictured in my mind that the widow is old. I've always made that assumption that the widow in this story is an old lady coming in, and she's kind of like hunchbacked and kind of walking slow. But I love that uh, in the graphic that our church posted that the lady was a young lady because, we, frankly, we don't know her scenario. And I, and I think it makes it that much more real to think that in a very real way she could have had children to care for. She had bills that she needed to pay. She had responsibilities that were on her plate. It was probably terrifying for her to give everything that she had. But yet she did it because she loved the Lord. The Greek manuscripts actually give the exact uh, amount that she gave in first century currency. And so it's hard to translate. Again, some of this is carried over from the King Jimmy. um, Words like penny. Um, So it doesn't really make sense to us. Um, the, the Roman codantres is actually what she gave, which was 164th of a denarius, which is another currency in first century Rome. And a denarius at that time was about a fair day's wage. And so if I could equate that just to help you understand in U.S. currency, it wasn't literally a penny. Um, it was actually about $2. And so it would be about the equivalent of somebody coming into our church with hungry children, with, with needs that need met, with, with bills that are past due, and they have two $1 bills, and they drop it in the offering box, and the Milton siren goes off. Okay? <laughs> and notice what Jesus is observing. Not surplus, but sacrifice. Not surplus, but sacrifice. If your giving does not hurt a little bit, if it doesn't make you a little bit uncomfortable, you're probably not giving in a way that pleases God. Because the Bible calls it A sacrifice. And I don't believe that God asks a lot from us. Um, I've used this analogy before, but think of it like this. If we're at a baseball game and I got $10 and I say, hey, will you go get me a hot dog? And the hot dogs, I know they're probably more expensive than a dollar, but for the sake of my math in front of a bunch of people, let's say they're a dollar. Okay. And I say, I want one hot dog, but for for me to not miss any of the game, I'm going to give you $10. You go get me a hot dog. That other $9, you can do whatever you want with, okay? And if you come back with a pretzel and a slushie and all of your things you want and you don't get me my hot dog, guess what's going to happen? We're going to have fighting words, right? I I paid you $9 to go get me a hot dog. We agreed to this. You went and you didn't bring it back. Um, Well, the Bible calls you a steward of God's resources, not an owner. I call it steward's hot dogs. Okay, and it, so if you are a steward of, of my $10 and you don't do what I've asked you to do with it, are you a good or a bad steward? You're a bad steward. And by most definitions and accounts, you're a thief. 
Because you've taken something that was clearly given to you for a purpose and used it for something else. And so this is what God has done for us. He's blessed us immensely. The place you're born, the time you're born in, the family you're born into, the abilities you have to be able to work whatever job you have that brings whatever income you have. Um, God's blessed you in those ways to have whatever you have and to not do, uh, do your finances in a way that honors him is a sin. And so from this, I think we can draw a few conclusions uh, just to kind of wrap up the sermon. Hey, Will, what, what does God want from me? Um, I've got four things that God wants from you in the area of giving. Number one, he wants you to be faithful. Um, in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, it says this, On the first day of the week, um, which is, by the way, Sunday, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. That's, a, that's an important phrase. As he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Paul's writing to a church in Corinth, and he's giving them instructions on how they're supposed to take up money. I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes or anything, but he says that on every first day of the week, it was a faithful thing. Now, do you have to literally give on Sunday? I don't care about that, all right? Um, I, I do think that your giving ought to be regular. It ought to be faithful. It ought to be consistent along with your income. And so, uh, number one, your giving should be faithful. Number two, it should be intentional. Um, that phrase, as he may prosper, is very important. Um, if, if I could most literally translate that in the Greek language, I went back and studied it this week, um, it means along with one's income. I think what's indicated here is a percentage that, that I've dedicated a certain amount of sacrifice in accordance with the money that I bring into my home or that I have. And so along with one's income, as he may prosper, means that, that I'm going to be intentional with what I give. That means I'm not just whatever's left over in the week and is in my pocket, I'm going to drop into an offering plate. Um, the New Testament, again, does not command 10%, but intentionally um, in, uh, intentionality is commanded. Number three is that we're to be sacrificial. Philippians 4.18, Paul's writing about his church planter support um, that he's getting from a church, and he says this, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts, that's money, the money that you sent, and he calls it a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. You see what's happening here? Paul is comparing money that is given to an Old Testament slaughtering of an animal, which was a sacrifice. That, that an animal represented someone's livelihood. It was either livestock to work their farm, it was milk for their children, or it was meat for their table, and they would slaughter it and leave it at the temple. It was a sacrifice. And Paul here compares the giving of financial income as a sacrifice that's pleasing to God. And so that means that there should be sacrifice in our giving. And, and it should be, fourthly and finally, joyful. It should be something that we do joyfully, not begrudgingly. In Matthew 6.21, Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That we give out of our hearts in an attitude of joy rather than an attitude of um, shame or begrudgment. And after all, Jesus is not asking anything of us that he has not done for us. Do you realize this? Jesus is not asking anything of you that he has not first done for you. And, and it would be easy for us to kind of clench up our fists around our money and around our resources and our stuff and our time and say, I worked hard for this. And I think the Bible is screaming at us, has Christ not worked harder for you? 
Jesus was faithful for you. The Bible calls you to regular church attendance and giving. Jesus did this while on earth. He gave money to the church. He taught in the church. He attended in the church. And then ultimately, he gave himself on the cross. And today, he regularly and consistently makes intercession for you right now. He was also intentional. The cross was not plan B. Jesus' death on the cross was not like a haphazard, i got to find a $5 bill in my wallet to drop in an offering plate. Jesus came to earth with the intention of dying on the cross to save you from your sins. Not the possibility that you would be saved, but to actually accomplish it through his death and his resurrection. Was it sacrificial? Of course it was. He gives us the supreme example of sacrifice. The atonement was costly. It was tortuous for Jesus. Jesus suffered for you, but it was also joyful. It was his joy. Hebrews 12, 2 tells us that. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It is crazy to me that the Bible would describe execution in a torturous way something that could ever be joyful to anyone. But that's exactly how it's described as Jesus' viewpoint of his death on a cross for you, that it was his joy that was set before him. It was joyful for him to sacrifice. It was joyful for him to go through pain. It was joyful because of the reward of purchasing your soul for eternity. And so don't miss this. When you have a right response to who God truly is, that's what worship is. And when you understand that Jesus gave everything for you, then you yield everything to him, realizing he's not going to bankrupt you. He's not going to make it hard on you. But he is inviting you into the blessing of being in his kingdom and advancing it along with him. He's inviting you in the process of that. So don't worship money. Worship Jesus. And worship Jesus with your money because it's actually his anyway. And the beauty of what we illustrate in communion today is that you come to a table with no ticket price. There's no check to be brought. There's no pastor that's going to, you know, when, you, when your family comes up for communion, is this together or separate? Just got to figure out the check before we serve y'all our piggly wiggly bread and our Welch's. Okay? There's no, there's no ticket price on this. It's been paid for by Jesus. And so when we are reminded week after week of the sacrifice that Jesus gave, we come joyfully because we come knowing that it's free. We come knowing that he has done everything for us. And as we tear uh, the bread, which represents his body, we remember his flesh was torn as payment. As we dip it in juice, we're reminded that his blood was poured out to pay for our sins and that we are forgiven. That there is no accusation that can stand against us anymore because Jesus has forgiven us. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To learn more about New Heights Church or a relationship with Christ, please visit our website at www.newheightswv.com.